Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to this week's episode of The Quarter Deck. As we continue in our reading with the 1st Marine Division in Iraq of 2003, No Greater Friend, No Worst Enemy, this week we're going to focus on the eve of combat, now that the stage is set. In our hero highlights this week, we take a look at the citation of Sergeant Albert Luther Kinzer. Drop and give me 25. I'm the gunny. It's time for the quarter it's it's time for the gunny. It's time. It's time. The quarter deck. Lights, lights, lights. Get online right now. You got 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 0. The quarter deck. It's time for the gunny. Hello, my bunch of knuckle-dragging, beer-drinking, hard-charging devil dogs. You're listening to the quarter deck. I am your host, Miguel, the gunny signs. Get off the bus! I do solemnly swear. I do solemnly swear. <laughs> Have you ever just sat and thought for a minute, what is the biggest thing that I've ever lost in my life? <laughs> Whether it's money, a personal belonging or something. But come on, Marine Corps, how the heck do you end up losing an F-35 jet that could not be found? Well, that mystery has been resolved as they finally found some of the wreckage of that plane. It was found down there in uh, Charleston, South Carolina, a day after one of the pilots on a training mission ejected in the military lost track of the jet. Really? How are you going to lose track of a jet? Now, on Monday, the military said that that evening the searchers had found a wreckage of the F-35 jet in South Carolina. This was a day after the Marine Corps inexplicably lost track of it when the pilot ejected with a parachute. Joint Base Charleston then released a statement that searchers who had been looking for the missing warplane located the debris in Wilmingsburg County north of Charleston. So a spokesman for the United States Marine Corps later confirmed that the jet was found, that this was the jet. And he stated, Members of the community should avoid the area and the recovery team secures the debris field. The statement said, adding that the Joint Base Charlton was handling command of the incident to the Marine Corps as they begin the recovery process. So this discovery came after an array of government and civilian agencies spent more than 24 hours searching for this missing F-35. <laughs> they even made an unusual plea for help, releasing a phone number for members of the public to call with information about this lost plane. Now, before the debris was found, the search had prompted widespread speculation. Was the jet still somehow airborne, perhaps flying on an autopilot? Had it crashed undetected into the lake or the ocean, did the Pentagon really have no method of tracing this plane? This is what they said. In some of the social media posts that people were making and commenting on as this whole process went along, how the hell do you lose an F-35? Representative Nancy Mace, a South Carolina Republican and the first woman to graduate from the Citadel, had asked her social media followers, we're asking the public to what? Find a jet and turn it in. 
perhaps maybe they'll see it posted on Craigslist and that's what, how they're going to find the plane because somebody is putting it up for sale because they just happened to find an F-35 in the middle of nowhere. So this mystery began when the pilot used the emergency parachute to eject from this F-35 Bravo Lightning II. And this was on Sunday afternoon over North Carolina or North Charleston, South Carolina, excuse me. And he was linking to the local medical center and was stable condition. Uh, Jeremy Huggins, a spokesman for Joint Base Charlton, said on Sunday that it was very unclear why the pilot needed to bail out. A second F-35 pilot who had also been on the training mission landed without any problems. Tech Sergeant James Kaysen, another base spokesman, said that based on the missing place plane, last known position, the base had been focusing on an area around Lake Moultrie, a large lake about 33 miles north of Charleston and Lake Marion, the state's largest lake in coordination with the Federal Aviation Administration Joint Base Charleston. In Williamsburg County, where the debris was found, it's not far from those lakes that they were talking about. It was not immediately clear if anyone in the vicinity had reported seeing or hearing a crash. So the surge involved the Marines, its 2nd Marine Aircraft Wing, Navy Regional Authorities in the Southeast, the Civil Air Patrol, and the Federal Aviation Administration law enforcement teams across the state were also helping. So everybody in the world was looking for this freaking plane. Now, the disappearance of the jet had prompted jokes and memes on social media like we talked about. So if you were on social media this last past couple of days, you can see memes everywhere regarding the missing plane. Now, on some of these threads, the Instagram platform, the actor Misha Collins wrote under a picture of a jet. That's what they get for leaving the keys in the ignition <laughs> of the jet. So in other news, check the new listing on Craigslist. No low bowl offers. <laughs> oh, really? I mean, even actors are getting into this whole meme thing and everything. Uh, Tim Robinson said, what's the problem? The editor-in-chief of the Aerospace and Magazine of the Royal Aerostatical Society asked on X, formerly known as Twitter, that he posted a picture of an F-35 on a golf course. I just sneaked off for a quick round of golf. <laughs> now, that's hypocritical because we all know that officers like to take off and simply go play golf for the day. And that's just an inside joke for all my military folk and for my non-military folk. Don't take it to heart. It is simply a joke that we say all the time. Now, on a serious note, the incident did prompt broader safety concerns. The Marines released a statement on Monday that General Eric Smith, the acting commander of the Marines, did direct the Marine Corps Aviation Units to conduct a two-day pause in operations uh, throughout the week to discuss the aviation safety matters and whatever best practices are going to be out there to make sure this kind of situation doesn't happen again. Now, what he said uh was a directive that came after three Class A aviation mishaps over the last six weeks. Such mis mishaps involved a property damage of 2.5 million or more. And this was according to a document that was released by the Marine Corps. So as time goes by in the Marine Corps, there's always all kinds of safety stand downs, especially if incidents happen. Now I gotta say that this is one huge incident that occurred because, you know, how the heck can you misplace an F-35? That's a huge freaking plane. Now, when I was reading about this this last past week and looking at it, it came to my attention of that I seen something like this before. 
And on NCIS, that's a show, a TV show, that uh, was aired. I forget what episode and what season it was, but there was an incident just like this where they were called because they were looking for a combat helicopter. Exactly which kind, I don't remember. I don't recall. I'm going to have to go back and watch these episodes again so I can find out exactly what it was. But there was two pilots in the helo. And one ejected from the helo because they called back in saying that it was going down, that they were having mechanical issues, so he parachuted out. The other pilot decided to stay in the helo and go down with the plane as a good pilot would do. So they could not find the wreckage. They couldn't find the other pilot's remains or anything like that. So it came to be that the pilots had came up with a plan to sell the helicopter to some terrorist group to make money or whatever. So the pilot ejected out. The other one took off, landed the helicopter, and hit it and was waiting for the people to show up to pay him the money to take the helicopter. And that came to mind to me right away because I was like, hmm, could this be the same kind of situation that was going on on that actual TV show? Because this was a naval helicopter or a Marine Corps helicopter and the NCIS were the ones that were investigating this kind of situation. And so it made me think and it made me laugh a little bit because, you know, so many memes and all that stuff that were going on regarding this thing that it just made it hilarious. And even this morning, I listened to a local radio station, 100.9, and Anna and Raven are the DJs that are on there and they were even talking about it and asking how the heck can you lose a plane you know how can you lose this plane and i'm pretty sure that's going to be something that the marine corps is going to be dealing with for a while because really how is that even possible that this kind of thing would happen or even be something that occurred when they have tracking for these planes find out where they are and all that stuff and it took them this long to be able to determine what the heck happened with all that stuff so that is what's been going on this week on this week's daily scoop but to give you guys an update regarding everything, the recovery with the surgery and everything, everything is looking good. Mobility is starting to come back more and more each day. Uh, I'm able to get up on my own, walk around longer distances. Still not bending or twisting or lifting heavy things or anything like that. So I got to take it easy because I want to make sure that this surgery is a lot better than the other one that I had to make sure that I continue to recoup and recover as long as it's going to take for me to make sure that I get back to the way that I was or hopefully even better to the way that I was. So taking it easy, making it there, and eventually I will go ahead and get there and be ready to go on my walks because I'm sure Gunny misses the walks. And the other little one, Yoshi, she is still in the potting training phase, so I got to hurry up and get better to get her better potty trained to make sure that she knows that she does not go on pee-pee pads that we have right now in her kennel because I can't really do anything as far as taking her out. And, you know, it's kind of difficult for my wife to do everything. So I got to make sure that I try to do the best that I can. Also, a quick update with the house. The architect had told me a couple of days ago that they were waiting for the final approval for the city. And it looks like everything should be approved this week. So they can hopefully soon get started on the framing and get the trussles built to get the house built and get us back into our home because, man, you know, I miss our house because if anybody goes through the same kind of situation, you know, I don't wish it on anybody. I don't even wish it on my worst enemy that this kind of situation happens because it really does suck. 
it sucks because, you know, you have to go through this whole entire process of, you know, not believing that it actually happened or anything like that. And it's not just me, my son, my wife, and even Gunny is dealing with that um, the way that it is because he still walks over there and tries to go into the front door of that house trying to get back home. So, you know, it, it's sad to see that even he's dealing with that kind of, uh, uh, you know, struggle or he, his feelings are there because, you know, that was his home since he was a puppy. So hopefully we'll be in there soon and I can give you guys more quick updates. Until next week, we're going to find some more daily scoops. And if you guys have any ideas of things that you've heard or things that maybe you want to talk about here on the daily scoop, reach out to me on our website on the Facebook page, The Quarter Deck with Gunny Signs, leave me a comment, leave me a message, a question, whatever you want to do. And again, like always, if you want to come on here and you know have a discussion, get on an interview with me, let me know so we can reach out to you and get you on there. So let's see what we can find out this next week in upcoming Daily Scoop. Are you looking for a photographer who can capture the most important moments in your life? Look no further than Miguel Signs Photography. Miguel Sainz is an award-winning photographer with a passion for capturing the beauty and emotions of weddings, family portraits, and special events. With years of experience and a creative eye, Miguel Sainz will create stunning images that you'll treasure for years to come. Whether you're looking for a traditional wedding album, a unique family portrait, or a professional headshot for your business, Miguel Sainz Photography has the expertise to bring your vision to life. From the initial consultation to the final product, Miguel Sainz will work with you every step of the way to ensure that your images reflect your unique style and personality. Don't settle for mediocre photographs that simply document an event. Trust Miguel Science Photography to create timeless images that capture the essence of your special moments. Book your session today and experience the magic of Miguel Science Photography. Visit Miguel Science Photography online at miguelsciencephotography.com to see examples of his work and schedule your appointment today. What we're going to do right here is go back. Way back, back into time. Last week, it was all about finding out what the enemy was doing. What were they doing for the last preparations as they could see that the division was preparing to head into Iraq in different locations because they were bringing people closer and closer to the border to ensure that they had people available there to support and defend the areas that they were thinking where the division was going to be heading into. This week, we're going to talk about the eve of combat. As the Marines get prepared, they get ready to actually execute the orders of the President of the United States. As the diplomatic clock wound down, the entire world watched the coalition forces poised to remove the ruthless dictator. Thanks to the global broadcast system, the Division CP was able to follow the political events even from their advanced bases in Kuwait. UN weapon inspections had restarted in December of 2002 as division forces were prepared to deploy. The inspectors noted the same lack of cooperation on the part of the Iraqis in the previous inspections, but had not yet been able to find any major smoking gun that confirmed the presence of weapons of mass destruction. The division watched as the UN inspectors visited suspect sites with its proposed zone and came up empty-handed. In February, the Iraqis' Al-Saman II missiles were declared in violation of the UN restrictions, removing one of the SSM systems that the division had been prepared to defend against. In early March, the U.S. found itself opposed diplomatically by France, 
Germany, and Russia, and stymied in the UN Security Council. On the 7th of March, Chief UN Weapons Inspector Hans Blix reported continually instigated of the part of the regime. The politicians wrestled with the appropriate response to the dictator and open definite of the UN for the past 12 years, who was known to be pursuing weapons of mass destruction and who controlled the Iraqi people through a careful program of sadistic repression. On 16 March, the leaders of the U.S., the United Kingdom, and Spain met in the Azores and committed themselves to taking action to remove the threat posed by Saddam. Diplomatic options were common to a close, and the U.S. sought, then abandoned, and attempted an additional U.N. Security Council action. On 17 March, President Bush issued an ultimatum, giving Saddam 48 hours to leave Iraq or face his forced removal. In the wake of the president's ultimatum and Saddam Hussein, Ansencom declared Iraqi forces hostile. The division's main CP listened to the president's words. There was no longer any doubt. All the months of planning, preparation, and rehearsal would now be put to the test. The Marines would be called once again to face the nation's foes and remove an armed threat to stand and deliver a victory. On the evening of 17 March, Blue Diamond issued the Frago for the units of the 1st Marine Division to move from the LSAs to the dispersal area. Units confirmed the receipt of the order and prepared to move out. The CG delivered this message to all Marines and sailors in the division. Now, this was General Mattis that sent this message to everybody in the division. Now, before the fire happened in our house, I've had the original letter that he gave us and that he passed out to every single Marine and it was a very nice letter because it was constructed on heavy construction-type paper imprinted in very decent, legible font. And every Marine was to get a copy of this because he wanted to make sure that everybody knew what his agenda was and that we were prepared to head into the country of Iraq. Now, whenever we started moving to our dispersion areas, it was about 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. And all of us were already racked out. We were all asleep. And I remember that our platoon sergeants came into our hooches and woke everybody up and said, let's go. It's time to go. And we already had everything prepared. All the vehicles were packed. We had all of our own personal gear packed and ready to go. So we knew that it was time to go. And this is what General Mattis had to say to all the Marines in the division, the corpsmen, and everyone that was going to head into fight with the division. For decades, Saddam Hussein has tortured, imprisoned, raped, and murdered the Iraqi people, invaded neighboring countries without probation, and threatened the world with weapons of mass destruction. The time has come to end his reign of terror. On your young shoulders rest the hopes of mankind. When I give you the word, together, we will cross the line of departure close with those forces that choose to fight and destroy them. Our fight is not with the Iraqi people nor with the members of the Iraqi army who choose to surrender. While we will move swiftly and aggressively against those who resist, we will treat all others with decency, demonstrating chivalry and solidarity 
compassion for people who have endured a lifetime under Saddam's oppression. Chemical attack, treachery, and the use of innocent human shields can be expected, as can other unethical tactics. Take it all in stride. Be the hunter, not the hunted. Never allow your unit to be caught with its guard down. Use good judgment and act in the best interests of our nation. You are part of the world's most feared and trusted force. Engage your brain before you engage your weapon. Share your courage with each other as we enter the uncertain terrain north of the line of departure. Keep faith in your comrades on your left and right and Marines air overhead. Fight with a happy heart and a strong spirit. For the mission's sake, our country's sake, and the sake of the men who carried the division's colors in the battles, who fought for life and never lost their nerve, Carry out our mission and keep your honor clean. Demonstrate to the world there is no better friend, no worse enemy than a United States Marine. J.N. Mattis, Major General, United States Marines, commanding. Now, I can remember when General Mattis gave us this letter. And I can tell you right now, reading that again gave me chills one more time because I can remember getting that letter, reading it. And putting it away because I knew that the time had come and I knew what was expected of the Marines as we crossed the line of departure to head in there to liberate the people from Saddam Hussein. Now, it's very difficult to understand, especially if you haven't been in that kind of a situation or you weren't there. And a lot of people that listen here to this podcast have been there and share the same story that I have because... As we move on with our book of, of with the First Marine Division in Iraq of 2003, No Greater Friend, No Worst Enemy, it brings back memories. It brings back the memories of us being there, the smells, the sounds, everything that we went through as we headed through the country of Iraq to liberate them people. And now today with all the situations that have occurred, with everybody being pulled out of Afghanistan and Iraq, you know, everybody has their feelings of what they're going through because of everything that occurred and the way that everybody was pulled out of there. And to me, it almost seemed like it was pointless of us being there because of all the Marines, the soldiers, the sailors, the airmen, everybody that was lost there, friends, people that we considered to be our family, they were lost in that battle and all the combat that was there, not only in Iraq, but also Afghanistan. And it's almost like a slap in the face. You know, that's the way that I look at it and that's the way that I take it. That it's almost like a slap in the face. The way that everybody came out of there and everything that was left there, all the equipment, all the gear, everything that was left there in that country. And so as we can see, the Marines are ready. They're heading to their final destination point to get ready to cross the area. And I got to tell you guys, it was an eerie feeling when we unloaded all our vehicles, we got all our stuff ready to go. We had our combat supply of ammunition, everything ready to go. And it was a very, very quiet ride from Camp Matilda out there to our staging area as we prepared. Because we got there, we were laid in the ass with the fire that we needed to be. This time, we were pointed into Iraq. No more into our training facility, the training ranges, or anything like that. We knew that from that point on, whenever we shot our cannons, our rifles, everything, it was at someone, not just a target out there, 
So we were prepared to do what we had to do to ensure that everybody came home the same way that we all left, that we all came back together. Hero, Hero highlight. highlight. Sergeant Albert Luther Kinzer, United States Marine Corps. On Independence Day of 1946 in Greenville, Tennessee, a grateful nation paid tribute to a gallant Marine, posthumously awarding the Medal of Honor to late Sergeant Albert Luther Kinzer of Greenville. Sergeant Kinzer won the nation's highest military decoration while acting as a leader of a rifle platoon, serving with Company I, 3rd Battalion, 1st Marines, 1st Marine Division, in action on Okinawa. Taken under sudden close attack by hostile troops entrenched on the reverse slope while moving up a strategic ridge along which his platoon was holding newly won positions, Sergeant Kinzer engaged the enemy in a fierce hand grenade battle. Quick to act when a Japanese grenade landed in the immediate vicinity, Sergeant Kinzer unhesitantly threw himself on the deadly missile, absorbing the full charge of the shattering explosion in his own body and thereby protecting his men from serious injury and possible death. The action occurred on 4 May of 1945. Major General Clifton B. Cates, later to become the Commandant of the Marine Corps, presented the medal to the parents of Sergeant during ceremonies attended by a host of dignitaries including the Governor of the State of Tennessee. The native Tennessean, born in Greenville 21 October 1922, enlisted with the Marine Corps in December of 1942 and received his boot training at Paris Island, South Carolina. Prior to enlisting, he had worked on his father's farm. He sailed from the United States on March 1943 and joined the 7th Replacement Battalion in Pago Pago, Tutala, American Samoa. Later, the battalion joined the 1st Marine Division in Melbourne, Australia. And Sergeant Kenzer was assigned to Company I, 1st Marines. Action with the 1st Marines followed at Cape Gloucester, New Britain, and later in Peleliu. Palu Islands on Easter Sunday, 1 April of 1945. Sergeant Kinzer landed with his unit at Okinawa, where he subsequently killed in action on 4 May. In addition to the Medal of Honor, Sergeant Kinzer was posthumously awarded the Purple Heart, Presidential Unit Citation, Asiatic Pacific Campaign Medal, and the World War II Victory Medal. Sergeant Kinzer was buried in the 1st Marine Division Cemetery on Okinawa, and his remains were returned to the United States in early of 1949 for burial in Greenville, Tennessee. The quarterdeck. Well, that's it. The division finally received the word to prepare themselves to head into country and head off into their final staging areas before they head into Iraq. It's outstanding and amazing how everything kind of worked itself out, I guess you could say. I'm not going to say that, you know, it's something to be extremely excited about, that the word has finally came that you're going to get ready to head into a combat environment. But remember that everybody in the division at that time, all the young Marines, myself included, we have never been in any kind of combat. We train and train constantly to prepare to be able to go to combat, but this was our very first time doing this. 
So I got to tell you guys, the adrenaline was there. It was high because we had no idea what to expect. We knew that we were hitting there and we knew that every single round that we shot from that day forward was going to be going towards somebody or something. So the division is ready and that is great news, I guess you could say, because the Marines are ready, they're prepared and they have everything planned out to the way that it needs to be. Now, next week, we're going to talk about the opening gambit and what the division actually did, whether their plans that they had put into place is the way that it actually worked out once they got into country down there into Iraq. In our Hero Highlights, we talked about our Marine, Sergeant Elbert Luther Kinzer of the United States Marine Corps, and again, another Marine that chose to throw his body on top of a grenade to protect the Marines in his unit around him to his left and to his right. So many of these individuals from this time frame during World War II selflessly gave their life to protect those around them. And just like him, like Sergeant Ebert Luther, you know, Marines continue to carry on the tradition of taking care of those Marines to their left and to their right. As always, thank you everybody for joining us this week. All our new listeners, thank you guys for coming in tuning in to us and joining us here on this week's episode of The Quarterdeck. All of you that have been loyal listeners, I appreciate you listening. Remember to share and let everybody know that the podcast is posting, it's out there, and it's available for you to be able to listen to on all of the podcasting applications that are out there as well. Do not forget about our page on Facebook, The Quarterdeck with Gunny Signs. Feel free to go on there leave any comments, any questions, or if you're interested in becoming a guest on our podcast, let us know. We'll go ahead and get everything scheduled up, everything set up to go ahead and be able to sit down with you and we can have our discussion, whether it's about the division heading into Iraq, if maybe, hey, you were there. You were possibly there with me during the same time that we were there in country. Let us know. We're more than happy to get you here onto our podcast. With that being said, I hope that everybody enjoys their weekend. Have a good time with your family. Spend time with them because time is short. Time is very short and we want to make sure that we continue to enjoy it with those that we love. So until next week, this is Miguel, the Gunny Signs, sounding Liberty Call. Get out the bus! I do solemnly swear. I do solemnly swear. That I will support you. Get out the Constitution of the United States. United States. Against all enemies, foreign and domestic. 